we, uh, this is the second and final part of, of looking at the parable of the four soils, or it's also known as the parable of the sower, from Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. And, and we see in this the, the statement that Jesus makes and probably makes repeatedly as he tells the parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It made me think of a man named Floyd who, who had a hearing problem and, and, and uh, maybe wasn't quite teachable enough, but, but Floyd as a young man, he decided he needed to make some extra money. And so he went around the neighborhood knocking on doors and, and one of the neighbors uh, came to the door and he was talking to him and, and, and uh, the man says to him, you know, come to think of it, I have got a job that, I, that you could do that I have been trying to get to that, that I just haven't been getting to, I've been too busy, I really need my porch painted. In fact, the paint is in the shed, it's ready to go. And uh, so if you're willing to do that, I'd be happy to pay you 50 bucks for it. And Floyd says, I'm on it. So like about 45 minutes later, Floyd shows back up at the door. And the man's looking at him. He's like, uh, and Floyd says, I'm done. Um, I'm ready to be paid. And the man's thinking, this is way too short. And I didn't even see him in my backyard where my porch is. I'm not sure what's going on. And so he's like, well, uh, I'm not sure how you could uh, finish that quick so quickly. And he says, well, I did. And by the way, it's a Mercedes, not a Porsche. Uh, Floyd had a hearing problem. How well we are able to live an abundant life, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us, depends on how well we hear God's truth. If we are really hearing God's truth, we're going to be living his truth. And, and we mean hearing in a sense uh, that Jesus talks about. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him apply, let him live it. And so we, we go to this moment when Jesus is teaching this parable. And we'll explain a little bit and re review a little bit from last week of why it is that Jesus would teach in parables. But a parable is basically... Rather than telling somebody your point and then giving a story that illustrates it, a parable is illustrating your point without giving them the point. Just painting, telling a story without telling the point of the story necessarily. And we'll, I'll explain why that is. But So we see in verse 4, And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path. It was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And that's the point of sowing seed, right? So that it'll actually yield a, a, uh, a harvest, so that it will actually bear fruit. I mean, unless a farmer is just trying to do what he needs to do to, so that he can 
You know, like this past year, some of them might have been just putting seed in the ground so that they could claim their insurance. Most of the time, if a farmer's putting $250,000 worth of seed in the ground, his plan is that seed is going to bear fruit. That's the point of it. We see here in this situation, only four of these, only one of these four soils actually bore fruit. And Jesus makes that statement. And so as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we read in verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now this goes on at a particular time in Jesus' ministry, that from that point forward it says he only spoke to the crowds in parables. And this comes after what happens in Matthew 12, where the rulers... The religious rulers, the Pharisees, accused Jesus of only being able to do his miracles by the power of Satan. And it says that from that point forward, he decided that he would only speak to them in parables. He would only tell them stories without telling them what the point of the story was. But here he says that it was the disciples' blessing that they would know what the story would mean. And, and so we're blessed as well as it's recorded for us. And we see in verse 11, now, this par- now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. But these having no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing they fall away. Now, now this isn't seed actually falling on a rock. This is seed falling on soil that has rock very un- underneath a very shallow bed of soil that, that the, the roots go down, but they can't go down very far. And so it's not very well rooted. And so the sun, when it comes out, it would, it would dry it up, but these represent those who, in a time of testing, they bear no fruit in the end. See in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, as we would know as weeds, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who hear who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. If you can hear me, bear fruit, Jesus is saying. If you have ears that can hear, listen. A couple of verses here that give us the understanding of the parable as we saw that the seed is the word of God we saw in verse 11. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. A person cannot come to Christ as their Savior without hearing the word of God in the gospel. That is the first and most primary way that a person responds, bears fruit, uh, in, in answer to the word that sowed into their heart. But, but that, that principle of bearing fruit, having that responsibility to respond in a way that is bearing fruit to God's truth continues on. It's not just in that beginning of a gospel relationship with God. Um, we use this four-arrow cross to, to explain in a lot of ways that relationship with God 
In the sense that largest part of the cross is his grace shed on us. As we see in this passage, it's his grace that even makes our heart able to hear. That makes our heart fertile to respond. That upward arrow represents first and foremost our response of worship to God. And in response to the gospel, that would be a matter of of Jesus having paid for our sin, having taken our sin on himself on the cross, and having offered us his righteousness. Our our response to God and his grace is, is, is that simple response of saying, I need that. I need that because that was my sin he paid for. I can't pay for it myself. And I need the work that he did to count to my account. And the only way that I'm going to be able to have a relationship with God is to trade my sin for Christ's righteousness. But we continue to make that response to God throughout our relationship with him. Of him shedding his grace on us and us responding to him. It's funny because I was I was talking to one of you. I was talking to a harvester here this morning, and and um, I was thanking him for for some work that they were going to be doing at somebody's house, and 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 his response was, you know, God has shown me so much grace that I just figure this is what He wants me to do with it. He wants me to bless other people with it. And I have to say, well, you know, that's just like those two outward arrows. Responding with God's grace, responding with God's truth, blessing fellow believers, blessing the unbelieving world. It's responding to his grace. But, but let's come back to, to um, our, our uh, uh, parable here. We see that this, the seed that is spread is the word of God and it's spread on the soils of the, the soil of the listener And the goal is to bear fruit. The goal is to make a proper response to the grace, to to the truth, to to the revelation that comes to us through God's word. But, But note two facts here. The seed is the same seed, no matter what heart it falls on. There's no blaming the seed. There's no blaming the message. It's the difference. The difference in the responses is the condition of the soil. Whether or not that seed, whether or not God's word is going to bear fruit in that person's life has to do with the condition of their heart. You know, Floyd uh, grew up, the, uh, the Porsche painter, you know. Floyd grew up and he decided he was going to be a chicken farmer. But he was frustrated. He didn't understand. He kept getting crates of baby chicks and they never grew into chickens. So he finally, in frustration, he heard about the extension office, the county extension office that he could email and say, what is going on? And so he emails and he finally finishes his email and he says, I don't know what the problem is. Is there something wrong with the soil? Am I planting them too close together? I am not growing chickens. Floyd's got bigger problems. Interestingly, uh, he got an email back, an automated response that, that stated, uh, any, any questions about soil cannot be answered without a soil sample. 
We're told about soil here. We're told about the different conditions of the heart that were not responsive to the gospel here. And this is just a little bit of review from, from last week. We learned about the hard, fruitless soil, which results in a non-response, a, a, a wave of the hand, a response of unbelief. This could be a person who continues to disbelieve the gospel, continuing in unbelief. We, we, we learned about the rocky, fruitless soil. With the, it's the shallow soil with a, with a bed of rocks just underneath it that the, the, the roots could not uh, dig down deep there. And it's a, it represents a short-lived response, a fleeting response. It might be a fleeting response of just e- emotional response, or it might be a fleeting response of works, of I'm going to do it, I'm going to buckle down. We learned about a weedy soil. I got to make sure, and I've, I, I spent too much time on this during the first service. I want to make sure that we have that time talking about cultivating our hearts. We learned about a weedy, fo- fruitless soil, a soil that, that's fruitless because of the weeds that are growing up. And Jeff mentioned, that, you know, and Peggy's saying, Jeff, you got to pull the weeds out of that garden. Why is that? It's because the weeds are sucking the nutrients out of the soil. And especially when, when, when a seed is just germinating and growing, it's not going to get to a place where it bears fruit, bears fruit of belief, bears fruit of obedience for, for the believer. If those weeds are just sucking the nutrients that it needs so desperately. I, I mentioned that I think that this group probably represents the American church the most. Uh, because it, 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 it's, it's the, the, the problem there are the, the worries, the riches, the pleasures of life. We also learned about the good soil. It's a life-changing response. I think these are in a different order in your bulletin. You can figure it out, right? The good soil, a life-changing response. It says, as for those who fell in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The good heart is one that, that is fertile for God's grace to respond to it, fertile for the word. It's represented by those who followed Jesus and were committed to his word regardless of the cost. This is a work of God. Evidenced by the faith and the faithfulness of the believer. Faith bearing fruit despite the attempts of the devil to steal the truth away. Faith bearing fruit despite the attempts, the the, uh, trials of the world that cast a scorching heat on it. Faith bearing fruit despite the pull of the flesh and all of the distractions that it can cause. Now, now this heart here is described as being a good heart, which would mean a fertile heart. It's described as being an honest heart. I would, descri- I would sum up an, a, a honest and good heart as being one with integrity. Okay, and, and that doesn't come naturally. God must do a work on our hearts to make us honest about our sin. And this is why, why I, I, I say it's, it's a heart of integrity because integrity basically means that if you, and we've talked about this before, that if you take an object and if you cut it and you look at a cross-section of it, it is the same through and through. 
It is consistent on the inside as it is on the outside. And how often does a person hear the gospel or hear some religious message or, or a message of any religion, 99% of them involve, do some works to make yourself look better to the deity, right? And, and the thought is, well, I can do that. I can work on the outside. I, I, can, I can shine myself up. I don't have to be honest about what's on the inside. But an honest heart that can receive grace, that can receive God's truth, starts just as a person starts a gospel relationship with God. God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner through and through. Everything that I do is full of sin. If you cut me from end to end, you would see I'm a sinner. I need you. And that might not sound like it, but that's the beginning of integrity. An honest heart. And that's a work of grace. Uh, ben shared two weeks ago, I thought this was profound, that, that, that integrity is, is a matter of truth not just being in the head, but being in the heart. And how, how integrity is the state of being whole, being in, uh, consistent. Integrity is being integrated through and through. And the opposite, as he pointed out, of integrity is disintegration. Disintegration. Those of you that are, that are Marvel fans, you know, of the, the Avengers, you saw this in the Avengers Endgame and, and uh, Infinity Wars. What would happen when, when, when Thanos snapped his fingers and so many people just disintegrated? They just kind of turned to dust and became nothing. That's the opposite of integrity. That's the opposite of wholeness. God has a plan for us to be whole. And it begins with being honest about what's on the inside of our heart. Being honest about it on the outside of our heart. And you see how that's the beginning of a gospel relationship? God, I need you. God, I need your righteousness. My righteousness stinks. I need grace. Refusal to accept the truth results in disintegration. Spiritually, that's what's going on in the American culture. Do you realize that? It is disintegrating. People are disintegrating. They are disintegrating from the inside out. Do you realize that's what's going on? That's the strategy of the enemy with, the, with targeting sexuality, targeting marriage, targeting gender. When people are saying, no, this is, this is my identity. This is who I truly am. God is saying, that is not your identity. Your identity is being made in my image. You were created to be in, to, 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 Show my image to the world. You are created in an order in relationship with one another, men and women. And the lie is, no, i got to be honest about what's on the inside, but it's leading to disintegration. A disintegration of who they truly are. This is where, where, where addiction comes in. When, when, when people, rather than their life being broad and the abundant life that God has given, it becomes narrow in tunnel vision on one thing. And it has defined life by that one thing. 
And our culture is disintegrating. Our second Passover, Jesus' teaching, helps us to know what he's saying to us. Now, not just what he's saying when he refers to these soils, but what he's saying to us. Believer or unbeliever, these principles are still the same. Okay? And we need to examine our hearts. And first and foremost, we just brushed over these last week. Examine your heart when truth can't sink in. He tells us, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. First and foremost, most primary, this is an, a, a, the response of a person that's like, I just can't believe the gospel. But it's also a principle that we need to see going on in our life. If you know Christ as your Savior, can truth sink in? You know, I am the preacher to the ADD, all right? You're provided with uh, sermon notes in the bulletin, PowerPoint up here. I used to think it's because I learned how to teach God's word by teaching teenagers, okay? But now I've realized it's because I'm ADD, okay? Because I need these things when I'm watching a sermon to keep me like on track and stuff like that a lot of times physically, mentally. But guys, don't fall into the trap of thinking that it is my job to keep you attentive, or that it is my job to keep you interested in a walk with the Lord. Or interested in God's word. Be on guard against Satan hardening your heart. Stealing away, using circumstances, using experiences, using bitterness to harden your heart so that he might steal away God's truth. If you find yourself saying, I just don't get anything from God's word. I just don't get anything from the sermons. It's about your heart. It's not about his word. And you can't change your heart. You can't change another person's heart. You know, are some people's just hearts just, they're just born with better hearts? No. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But Ezekiel 36 also tells us about the work that God can do in our hearts. Where he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, I'm, and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You can't change a person's heart, but God can. It's about the heart of your child. It's about the heart of your grandchild who doesn't have an interest in God's word. A change of heart is a result of the grace of God. Pray that God would take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You can't change your own heart, but God can. Pray that God would take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, every time I come to God's Word, I try to remember to ask God to work on my heart. A little little anagram that kind of helps me remember that is, is, is I, as I ask Him for an IOU. I ask Him to incline my heart to want to follow Him, to incline my heart to Him. I ask Him to open my eyes, open my mind up to the truths that are here in His Word. And I ask Him to unite my life to his work, to his plan, 
to his kingdom. Another scenario that we're given to, to give and to examine our hearts is when, when change can't stick. He talks about the, the, the seed that falls on the rocky soil and they're like and, and it springs up in, in response, but it's never going to bear fruit because it doesn't have any roots. And when persecution comes, when trials come, it's going to wither away. One writer says, sun is good for plants if they have roots. In the same way, persecution can deepen the roots of a true Christian, but it only exposes the shallowness of others. We've all had New Year's resolutions that like we did nothing about it, right? We resolved and that was it. You, you might say something, I hear somebody say, Re- resolutions don't work. Every year I make one and nothing happens. Like somehow it's going to be like, I'm going to do this, you know, wiggle the nose or blink like genie or whatever. Resolutions that are purely emotional impulses do not bear lasting results. And if you've been looking for one of your emotional flashes to take root, don't hold your breath. It's a heart issue. If you've been waiting for one of your hard stands of fleshly resolve to do it, don't bother. You need a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're battling against the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5 gives you the key. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Plain and simple. The way that we keep from gratifying the desires of the flesh is by walking by God's Spirit. And learning what that looks like for you is a lifelong process. Because it's a relationship with another person. You're told in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, that what, you know, we need to bear fruit and this is what we need, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we need and that has not come from fleshly resolve. It comes from a work of God in our hearts and in our lives. The third scenario we're given that we should examine our heart is is when growth can't be sustained. Describe those the the seed that fell among the thorns or the weeds. They they start to grow, but so do those weeds. So do those those thorns. Guess what? Weeds grow faster than a little baby plant. You know. And it describes that they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Another translation calls it the worries of life rather than cares. A fleshly resolve that is weakened by by other influences. This can be no fruit due, due to, it's, it's, not, it's fruit due to a lack of repentance, but this may be repentance in response to the gospel. You know, originally, repentance from trusting in something else to save them and saying, Lord, I, I, I turn away from that. I turn away from all this religious noise 
and I'm trusting in you alone. But in the case of, of a person that knows Christ as their Savior, that spiritual growth it, it still grows from repentance. It still grows from them being able to walk by the Spirit. It still grows from them being able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and it may be that they need to be, we all need to be repenting from those sinful things in our life that are sapping the soil of its fertile nature that allows it to respond to God's truth. Something that we've been believing that will lead us to true life. You know, what, what if you had a friend that said, you know what, Slim Fast just does not work. I drank it three times a day for six months. And then you find out they were still t- making two trips to Dairylicious a day. Right? You're like, I think I found your problem. All of the influence of good things are just not going to help if you're still packing all this Stuff that's sapping you. Or stuff that's clouding your attempts. Idolatry is when we hold on to something other than God, hoping that it is going to bring us life. It might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend as our source of security or intimacy. It might be food beyond meeting our physical need. Or healthy enjoyment. It might be sexual pleasure beyond God's design within a loving marriage. It might be financial security beyond just looking for being able to be content, being fed and being, being clothed. Consciously or subconsciously, in these situations, we end up saying, I can't do what God's telling me to do if it means that I have to stop doing this. Because I believe this thing is where life is found. And God's word is falling on that weedy soil. And it just can't grow. And it's not going to bear fruit. Like I said, I think that this soil best represents where we are as a country right now. Church or unchurched. Because we have so much opportunity for, to chase down our worries. We have so much opportunity to build our riches. We have so much opportunity to, to dive into our pleasures. And we're tempted to place our hope in those things. Rather than God. Rather than Christ. I want to share with you habits of a healthy heart. Okay? And these are simply disciplines that we can work into our lives, habits that we can work in our life, they don't change our hearts, but they help to cultivate fertile soil that when God's grace is at work, our hearts are more responsive. I'm laying these out in a different order than they are in on your bulletin there, but it's kind of in, it's, it's almost like an order of uh, process, if you will. The first is honest talks with God, honest talks with God, where we hear from him and we speak to him honestly. The Christian life is about walking in relationship with God. It's about hearing him from his word. And when we don't hear him, now we know, okay, Lord, I, I don't hear what you're saying here. I don't know what you're trying to teach me here. Lord, will you fix my heart here? Because not, there's nothing wrong with the seed here, Lord. There's something wrong with the soil. 
Hebrews 4.12 talks about God's word as as being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word can do a mighty work, a piercing work, a dividing work in our hearts. And we need to let it. And we need to be honest about where we're at. Just two verses later, when after talking about God's word, it says in Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God already knows what you're tempted with. God already knows what you're struggling with. He's in there going, I'm, you know, I'm, I appreciate you wanting me to bless the missionaries and, you know, praying for your kids and stuff like that, but let's really talk about what your temptation is right now. Let's really talk about what your struggle is right now. Second of these is Bible memory. Psalm 119 tells us, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God, His word isn't just something we, we need just once a day or as we're in the the car listening to the radio or something like that. It's something that we must have with us. You know, if you're walking down a dark path and you're trying to keep from making sure you're not going to trip over a root or something, it, it doesn't help you at all to know that the light is on in your house. Right? You need a flashlight with you. And that is what memorizing God's Word allows us to do. Especially memorizing God's word where we struggle. Maybe in that worry. Maybe in that temptation toward riches. Maybe in that temptation towards pleasure. It allows us to take God's word with us. Just as Jesus did. Just as Jesus needed to. I I could preach a whole message just on these here. Also, we need to study God's word. You, You know what? Let me give you the most simple definition, even if you had no knowledge of like different simple skills with it or anything, simplest definition of studying God's word, follow your curiosity. Follow your curiosity and let him lead you. Following your curiosity in God's word. We're told in in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of scripture is, is breathed out. He, he, he breathed meaning into it by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, or for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is our truth by which we find and live true life. Follow your curiosities in it. Also, I stands for involvement with the body of Christ. You know, the letter to the Hebrews was written to people that were being severely persecuted because of their involvement with Christians, because of their, of their claiming to be a Christian, but also their weekly involvement with Christians. And still... They are, they are told in Hebrews 10, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as it's a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I've shared before, there is a, is a, a night and day difference between a part of a body and a body part. Right? A part of a body, as we're called to be a part of a body of Christ, is, is connected, it's functioning, it's, it's useful, it's helpful, it's, 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 it's growing. A body part is not all that helpful. Okay? It's like somebody do something with that. You know, because it's just laying there. And in the same way, we must be involved with the local church. Involved with the body of Christ. That's what God intended. And with that comes accountability. Verses you're familiar with. That Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, and one man so sharpens another. Galatians 6, 1 tells us, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. Guys, these are not the way we fix our hearts. These are simply how we cultivate the ground a little bit so that when God's grace falls on it, when God's truth falls on it, it might be more fertile soil to respond and bear fruit. Lastly is trustworthy handling of God's gifts. Trustworthy handling of God's gifts. I I think it's neat to save this for last. Because like I said, I think that we in America, we deal a lot with that weedy heart that's crowded in. And so much of what we're crowded in with in America is God's material gifts. Those worries, like maybe I can buy enough insurance in all these different other areas that I won't have anything to worry about. Right? And so we actually think we can solve what we're worrying about. Because we're, we're full of resources. We, we, we have more money than we know what to do with. And, and, and we have more access to pleasure than anybody has ever had. As we saw when we just recently looked at 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 19, Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Because we're tempted to think that all the stuff we can buy, that that's life. But actually, we're sowing weeds in our hearts. We need to be trustworthily handling the way, the way that a manager is with the owner's stuff. That's what we are. Everything that we have, everything that we've blessed, been blessed with, we're not, we're not given to it to worry about it. We're not given it to put our hope in it and riches. We're not given it to buy our pleasures. We're given it to manage to be trustworthy with. I just want to close reminding you 
a picture that I ran across, a, an, an experience that I had when I was in Albania um, as a, like an 18-year-old. The family that I was living with, they, you, you might remember this story, they took me up onto this hilltop. We were going for a hike, and there was this man standing beside this concrete cover, and he was sitting in a chair, and he had an AK-47 next to him. And it's an odd thing, you know, you didn't see this very often. And they took me over, and they, and, and they said, you got to see what he does here, why the town has him sitting here. And they opened up that, that concrete cover, and you could see underneath it just a rushing spring of water. And it's the water that fed the town. And that was a critical spot. There, there was, at this time, there was a lot of stuff going on in Kosovo, just to the north and things. But that was a critical spot that needed to be protected, that needed to be guarded. This is what Proverbs 4 means when it says, Above all else, guard your heart. For from it flows the wellsprings of life. And that is a key thing that we've got to do, guys. When truth just can't sink in, okay? When change just won't stick, when growth just can't be sustained, look at what you're allowing to affect your heart. Look at your entertainment. Look at the people that you might be hanging out with that might be influencing your heart. You have to guard your heart because all the rest of your life drinks off of it. Let's close in prayer.